This is the Waters and Harvey Show. I'm Darren Waters. And I'm Marcus Harvey. Today we're going to look at women's business opportunities and what is being done to create them in our region. We'll speak with the director of the Western Women's Business Center. Stay tuned and we'll be back in a moment. Again, this is the Waters and Harvest Show. I'm Darren Waters. Pleased to be back here in the studio. Pleased to have you all join us again here in the audience. And as always, I'm happy to be here with my brother, Dr. Marcus Harvey. Marcus, how's it going? I'm well. I'm looking forward to another probing conversation. How are you? I'm doing really good. And it's interesting with these topics that we're we're discussing right. lately because this will mark the third, I think the third show that mm-hmm. we've done around the issue of business, business opportunities. This time we're focus, focusing specifically on what is being done to create opportunities for women, especially here in our region. But I'm interested in even talking about, you know, even across the state and even nationally. Yeah, and this is important, especially because I think in our country's, uh, in this country's social history and its political history, uh, women across racial lines um, in various ways have been marginalized groups, mm-hmm. right? Um, or I should say a marginalized group. Uh, and so I think a series of conversations about this topic um, is very appropriate. It is. And, it, and it's a new area for me, even as a historian. I feel like I'm still learning <clears throat> more and more about the uniqueness of, uh, of women's history in our country. Mm-hmm. And it reminded me, Marcus, as I was thinking about this, of my uh, relationship again with John Hope Franklin. People hear me mention Dr. Franklin's name a lot, but he, you know, he, he was a towering figure, not only in the historical profession, but for me personally. But I remember one of the last conversations I had with him where he, you know, th- this was a man I thought he knew it all. But he said, you know, Darren, there's a lot about women's history that I don't mm-hmm. know. And he, he was just beginning to really explore that at age 95. And I thought to myself, this is the way I want to be if I ever make it to that age, always exploring something new. But I thought about that conversation with him and the uniqueness of the of women's experiences in this country. Yeah, indeed. And for me, too, um, likewise, it is a largely um, underexplored area of our country's history. In fact, uh, just to, to cite an example, um, I only recently learned that one of the first um, individuals to uh, make a case to reparations um, to the Massachusetts General Court in 1783 was a woman mm. of African birth, Belinda Royale, who petitioned this court for compensation related to um, her time in slavery. slavery. And this is in, this is this is in 1783. And so um, this is this is a historical fact that I doubt many people are aware of, especially right. I mean, even people who are um, involved in the reparations discussion. The, the, so. yeah, one of those interesting little nuggets of histories. And so you, you mentioned uh, women as a marginalized group. This is one of the focuses of our show and mm-hmm. talking about groups that have been historically underrepresented are mm-hmm. historically marginalized. And so we here we have women's history in this and the story that you're just telling which really centers around this whole debate around reparations because I recently had someone tell me you know as a historian who studied the American South and the antebellum South and looking at slavery if you look at the laws that were in place uh, mm. between men and women during that time, women were considered property of their husbands, mm. right? So when we get into the reparation, and that's not just African-American yeah. women, that is across the board. Yeah. So when we, it, it, 
in many ways, Marcus, I think it enlarges the whole reparation debate, mm-hmm. right? It, it it complicates it a little bit more than than I, I would would have imagined beforehand. Yeah, I think so. And I think what's interesting about this, the idea of ownership, especially as it has um, uh, existed in North America, um, is that it really has historically been understood along patriarchal lines, right? So, so those who were worthy or eligible for ownership, be it of, of human property, be it of land, uh, or white male patriarchs, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, like right. Thomas Jefferson, for example. Right. So it's important to, uh, to um, understand that particular conception of ownership it as is. it has existed in, in, in North American history. It is. And yeah. we can't, we can't uh, have this section of the show and close it out without mentioning uh, Abigail Adams. What mm-hmm. did Abigail Adams say to her husband as they were debating uh, the Constitution, the uh, development of the Constitution, United States Constitution? are the Declaration of Independence. Mm-hmm. Actually, what does she say? Remember, don't forget the ladies mm-hmm. and thinking about how are they going to factor in this experiment that we're creating here in the United States. So we want to talk about business opportunities for for women and what is being done, especially here in this region of Western North Carolina, to enhance those opportunities. And Marcus and I will be back for that conversation in just a moment. Well, again, this is the Waters and Harvest Show. Again, I'm Darren Waters. We're here at Blue Ridge Public Radio in Asheville, North Carolina. Glad that you all are still with us here in the audience to talk about this important topic of women's history, not just women's history, but about business opportunities for women. And Marcus and I are really happy to have here in the studio as our guest today, uh, Miss Sharon Oxendine, who is the director of the Western Women's Business Center. Sharon and I have known each other for a while. It's taken me a while to get her here in the studio, but we're so glad to have her here. And it's been interesting to watch Sharon over the years. She's everywhere. Um, I see her all the time, but very active in this community, working to create opportunities for women in business op- in business here in our region, and I think throughout the state of North Carolina. So Sharon, it is great to have you here in the studio with us. Welcome to the show. Welcome, Sharon. Thank you, and I, I consider it an honor to be here with both of you. I'm really looking forward to what our discussion can reveal Mm -hmm. about what some of us are doing and and how that plays a part in women businesses well thank thank you for taking the time to come in i I think i want to start here but just talking about how long you've been in this role because i think you have been working as i said earlier across the state so this is something that you've been actively involved in for a long time how long have you been here at the western uh, women's business center i've been at the western women's business center for five years however before that time Time, I worked for another organization that was a CDFI. I am part of a CDFI, which is a community development financial institution. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's government set aside money that makes sure that we are serving the underserved, which includes women and people of color. So 17 years ago, I started when we had places downtown like Hector Diaz Mm -hmm. uh, when he was just getting started and making sure that people who come in uh, who are looking for funding that would not get that from a traditional bank or from Mm -hmm. a traditional place, that we were able to serve those folks specifically. I'm actually over the 25 counties of Appalachia, so it starts with Buncombe County. Now, one of my colleagues uh, works the Latino program, which is across the state. 
So when I first got started with the first CDFI that I worked at, I realized with my background in uh, clinical human services, working with, I spent a lot of time uh, in earlier part of my life, was very interested in working with people in prison. So I worked with uh, men that were in prison mm-hmm. uh, at the Maximum Security Prison in Marion. I worked with women in prison. Uh, I was very interested in working with folks who had been locked up at that time. So a lot of my work had, I spent about 10 years in social service, clinical services, working with men and women in different roles. Oh. And when I came into working with CDFI work, I realized that this was where I felt like people were at a crossroads in their life. They couldn't maybe do, you know, be able to get housing or be able to free themselves in some way that it was through business or business Mm -hmm. development Mm -hmm. or being able to have or acquire wealth and assets. Mm. And so that's been my platform. Um, That's probably why you see me in so many places. If I have an opportunity to be somewhere in this town or in this region that will expose that, that's what I want to be able to do. It's interesting, um, you know, to hear your background in the prison system Mm -hmm. here in North Carolina, because I worked in the prison system as well as a probation parole officer. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious about what type of work did you do with the men and women that you worked with? Sharon, if you don't mind me asking. No, not at all. I was really proud of it. I, uh, when I worked at Marion Correctional Center, uh, I worked as a clinical counselor, especially focusing on folks with uh, abuse or addiction. Mm-hmm. And um, having come from, I'm actually what I consider myself as a First Nations woman. Okay. I am from the tribe, the Lumbee tribe in eastern part mm-hmm. of North Carolina. Mm-hmm. I come from a long lineage of where women are the matriarch right. and they are the ones that you know develop what the community needs mm-hmm. and wants. Um, my father had 16 brothers and sisters. So I saw all of, all of that play out in front mm-hmm. of me uh, all of my life where women were the ones that were doing the work and making sure that there was always enough for everyone. So going into human service work that I did around uh, 10 years here in clinical services, uh, that's what I did was counseling. I was doing group and individual counseling mm. inside. Interesting, interesting yeah. dimension to you, to your work. Yeah, and Sharon, thinking about the work that you did in the area of human services, working with with inmates at the Marion Correctional Center, um, I'm curious to hear uh, from you. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, how how that experience um, in that line of work has translated um, into your work with the Western Women's um, Center, the Western Women's Business Center. Again, when I was working with folks, I would always, you know, narrow it down to, I mean, we're actually working with folks and looking at needs, mm-hmm. you know, with the basic needs of people and understanding that, you know, folks needed when they got out of prison to you know, make a living, have an income, mm-hmm. have housing. And I kept going back to this whole thing. I actually went back to school and got a degree in construction management because mm-hmm. I thought I wanted to work in public housing. And I figured in my mind, if I understood construction and understood that, that maybe I could be a part of doing like what mountain housing opportunity right. is now doing. Right. 
But what happened was, um, and I believe in a higher power, put me on a path to another CDFI. And when I went into that work, I was able to look at people the same way I'd always looked at them, which is holistically. Mm-hmm. I mean, that yeah. people were surprised. I didn't have a business background or a business degree. I was looking at what people needed. And what they needed was to be able to develop an income, be able to live in this town, to be able to have resources that would Mm -hmm. allow them to be able to have assets. Mm -hmm. And so it it all seemed to go together to me. Other people were looking at me very differently. I came into this very backwards without Mm an MBA or I'm not a business, you know, uh, professional in that way. But what I do is I understand people. We all we have needs. Mm-hmm. We have wants yeah. and desires. And especially if we can make sure that we are there to help people navigate a system mm-hmm. that is out here. And so that's that's really what I've seen myself doing is yeah. providing that source of service. Yeah, sometimes yeah. a system that doesn't really work <laughs> in your favor. Yeah, exactly. And, and thinking about what you just did, what you just um, shared with us, Sharon, about a, a, a holistic focus on the needs um, of women um, and other uh, other clients that you that you work with. Um, to, it strikes me as interesting that the financial establishment mm-hmm. um, in this country doesn't seem to have that kind of focus, right? right? Hence the need for institutions like the Western Women's Business Center. Any thoughts about about why the financial establishment um, seems to have a focus that doesn't <laughs> that doesn't that doesn't centralize <laughs> the needs of people, mm-hmm. um, especially in a holistic sense. So, any thoughts about that you might want to share? Well, you know, we're we're living, <clears throat> and, and most of my life, I've you know what I've seen is it's. It's a business to most people. You know, they're not going to look into the person and say, hey, this is a person that has needs, that wants to. You know, I worked for a long time with women over in Hillcrest, and I spent a couple years over there in business development just trying to say, hey, what could we all get together and do? And we got really close to developing something, and those women got afraid. They got afraid because Hmm. the system that had been upholding them, whether that was around, you know, food or housing, they were afraid all of that would be taken away from them. And no matter how much I tried to reassure them Hmm. that that was not going to happen immediately, I saw this whole group of powerful women, 10 or 12, begin to back out of that group and say, what if I lose my food stamps Mm -hmm. or what if I lose my you know, EBT card, or what if I lose access to any resources around housing? And I I tried to explain, you can't, that's not going to happen until you make a certain amount of money. But people having to be in that arena and try to work at the same time and develop something, it's a very scary process. And people don't understand that. Mm-hmm. You have to be willing to take risk. And risk is, you know, it's not, it, even with my think about myself, it's not easy to leave those comfort zones. You know, once you, you're you in a certain comfort mm-hmm. zone to get out of it. So it's not tough. These are all interesting points that you're bringing up here. Um, and I'm, I was trying not to go there this show, but I'm going to go there. You know, Alexis de Tocqueville. <laughs> 
And if yeah, again, at this, I can't, I can't emphasize how important his work in 1830 around democracy in America, and mm-hmm. some of the points that you're bringing up here about how so many financial institutions do not see people holistically. He he really did see that coming. That this was kind of, kind of one of those themes of America that kind of concerned him in how our democracy was developing. I had to just throw that in there. But you raised the point earlier, Sharon, about funding. So the funding that is out there to help support business development and the Women's uh, Business Center, the Western Women's Business Center helps focus on that. Is Are these are we talking about federal dollars, or state dollars, is a combination of the two? Well, mostly when you talk about money, as far as part of the CDFI world, the community um, development financial institutions, that's going to be federally funded. But there's lots of places that it comes from. The USDA, there's Mm -hmm. lots of Lots of areas, lots of what we call buckets of money. Actually, the Small Business Administration is the one that funds the Western Women's Business Center that we have a presence. So they have a grant that they give us, and we're administering that. We also get money from the city of Asheville. And I think I saw you recently mm-hmm. at a meeting where we were listening with uh, That's right. about the city here uh, and um, the city manager. Deborah Campbell talking about what we needed to be doing and how we were working. We get a grant from the city that is actually a HUD grant that allows us to work right within the city of Asheville, and that's where we started our African American Business Association. Mm -hmm. That's been going on for two years, and so we align that with the city funding to make sure that there is a place once a month where uh, business owners can come together and we're not asking just that black business owners are there but we are asking that they have the primary vote of how that group is set up Mm -hmm. and established and we have it over at the green opportunities building or i think they call it the eddington center Center, now yeah over in livingston so that's what we're using some of those dollars from the city to make sure that we go where the people are and that's what we've always said that we don't expect them to come way out in candler where our office is that we need to be on site Mm. and see where they are to try to bring them some information right. and resources around building their own business. All right. It's, so it's good to know that, that there are uh, centers like yours who are helping people navigate those spaces. Because, you know, some of these large institutions are knowing, just knowing what is available sometimes right. is hard to know that. And Marcus and I, you know, recently had a conversation. We were uh, from an article that we had read in The Atlantic. You know about um, African American landowners, um, and I think Farmers. this yes, right. And this article was looking specifically at Mississippi, but how there were certain programs that were set up to help farmers, but how they really didn't benefit from that. Right, right. exactly. That's that's the whole point. Mm-hmm. Is that if you don't know how to navigate the system. The same way that we try to use our platform, recently there was a spark tank or a shark tank uh, pitch here in Nashville for Entrepreneurship Week, the first week of uh, September, and they asked me to be a part of the judges, and one of the things I said was, do we have any women or people of color who will be pitching? And they made sure that someone who was representative 
of those types of demographics were actually well, pitching. Damn. Yeah, uh, recently they just, you know, we have to make sure that 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 they're in that space if we're going to participate. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, a lot of times you're looking at me and you know that I am a woman of color mm-hmm. and I have a little bit of business acumen, so it looks good for people. It's mm-hmm. fine with me. Okay. I don't mind them allowing me to be there mm-hmm. just for my based on me being a woman mm-hmm. of color mm-hmm. so that I can make sure every time I go into those spaces that I make sure there's people of color and women that are represented that are there. there. Yeah. yeah. And Sharon, one of the things I hear you saying or suggesting is that the financial establishment is it just isn't set up or constructed in a way that can be easily navigated by persons who are not wealthy right. <laughs> or who don't have a, a background in economics or finance. And that kind of, you know, somewhat indirectly leads me to the question of um, are, is, 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 an organization like um, the Western Women's uh, Business Center, is that unique to this part of the state, or do we find other similar organizations in other parts of North Carolina? I think there are actually, let's see, is it four or five across the state of North Carolina, which is unusual for one state to have That's un- that That's many, okay. right, to have that many funded by the SBA. So the need, the need okay. in North Carolina is huge. There's one in Charlotte, there's one in Fayetteville, there's one in Raleigh, and there's the Eastern Women's Business Center, not funded by the SBA, but mm-hmm. located in Elizabeth City. Okay. okay. And that's part of, that That mm-hmm. center is part of the CDFI that I work for, which is out of Raleigh. Mm-hmm. It's the headquarters is in Raleigh. Well, Sharon, you know, I'm interested in hearing about um, your, your take on barriers that women may face in uh, getting to these opportunities. We had this conversation with uh, Jane Hatley, who is leading the the uh, venture fund for a self-help credit union. And she talked a lot about um, the barriers in that conversation we had with her that uh, historically marginalized groups face in, mm-hmm. the, in, the fi- in dealing with financial institutions. What are some of the barriers you see that preclude women in this in, kind of in this regard? Well, I, I think there can actually be, you know, many of those and a lot of it is collateral again we're going back to wealth Mm -hmm. so you know if a woman does not have something to put up against the loan even in a cdfi so how do you acquire wealth and how do you acquire assets especially Mm -hmm. if you're a single parent you know that's Mm -hmm. a big question right right there so what can i do or how do i go in and help Many times in previous um, situations like that, I was able to intercede, and that's part of my job as an advocate, is to come in and say, and since this woman doesn't have collateral, can she sign, like if she's starting a painting company, can she assign all the equipment over to us, Mm -hmm. let us hold the note on that until Mm -hmm. she gets this loan paid off? I've had many situations where that, took place takes a lot of work on our side mm. to prove that and make that happen <laughs> but it's well worth it mm-hmm. especially when it works out so that's collateral and assets wealth having that most of the women i see are super smart super resourceful mm-hmm. have the capacity to do lots of different things 
Um, having cash flow is another thing. Mm-hmm. You've got to be able to prove that once you get that business. So many of our women, what they have to do is keep working another a day, job, another right. job okay. and, and maybe even two other jobs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen some women in this town or lots of women in this town who continue to work and have to work two or three years until that business is up where it needs to be. Wow. Yeah. 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 So, Sharon, I'm, I'm thinking, and I, I think your comments sort of are moving in this direction direction uh but how do you measure success um mm-hmm. in the work that you do um just thinking about this sort of in brief terms and along that line would you mind sharing maybe one six one success story uh sure. that may illustrate what success can look like within this context right well you know it's really funny because i'm sure people are thinking success you know and being able to be wealthy or being able for me Measuring success is being able to give someone every opportunity, even if they fail. Mm-hmm. Because success is not, uh, is sometimes the failure is the success. But if you didn't have the opportunity to fail, if I didn't provide you everything so that you could say, well, it wasn't because someone didn't give me the resources and the needs that I have. I guess um, one of the biggest success stories i would say in the past couple years has been a young woman that i've worked with that started the small cakes over at biltmore park Mm. and um this this was a person who was forward thinking and said to us she came in it took her two years to get a loan she was a woman a woman of color that had been working really hard and she continues to work real hard has been really successful. What she wanted to do was involve her whole family in this business and be able mm-hmm. to develop an asset mm-hmm. and wealth going forward yes, to right. her children in the next generation. Right. So being able to be a part of something like that, even if it takes two years in the building of that, is really, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, right. it, it's a great feeling. As time has gone on in being in this industry, like a lot of other things, it's become harder, even with the, with the CDFI, to get that money passed over, especially to a startup business. Right. Mm-hmm. It, wow. <clears throat> well, yeah. so, so, again, this is uh, – every time we go into these conversations, even in fields that Marcus and I are not experts on, I'm, you know, as a historian – and, and focus on my work. I learned so much from these conversations and just want to thank you again, uh, Sharon, for the work that you're doing. I think that there is room here for another conversation because <laughs> I really want to come back later on Definitely. about these mentalities that mm-hmm. kind of develop. I want to come back to that. So I'm hoping that we can convince you to come back and join oh, us. Oh, anytime. <laughs> yeah. right. It went by too far. Okay, right, right. <laughs> well, thank you for being here. Marcus and I'll thank be back in a moment. Me. Right. Thank you Well, again, this has been the Waters and Harvest Show. Yeah. Marcus, this has been uh, a delightful mm, conversation. Very to much say so. the least. I mean, I, you know, Sharon went in so many different directions. I love hearing people's, even people's personal stories mm-hmm. and hearing about her work in the uh, in the criminal justice system yeah. here and how, and it, that perspective, I think, is a very unique uh, perspective. Yeah, and I, one, one thing that really sticks with me uh, that, that Sharon pointed out was this notion of framing success in terms of the ability to perform 
provide opportunities. Because mm-hmm. I think one of the things that we've addressed on this show is this country's history of sort of strategically excluding certain members of, the, of this society from certain right. types of opportunities. Right. And so I think that's a very uh, instructive and I think revolutionary way to think about success. And we yeah. wonder why people are, are afraid of taking risk mm. because the cards have been stacked <clears throat> against people so exactly. much in our country. Mm. And I think that that's a history so often that we do not want to face. Mm-hmm. We don't want to think that that has been the case, but it has. It's mm-hmm. right there. All you got to do is read a, a really good history book and you'll <laughs> see you it, right? You yeah. Yeah. So there's so much more here that I think that we can unpack and that yeah. we should unpack but again, I want to thank um, thank Sharon for what she's doing through this work of being out there in the community, looking for ways to engage uh, mm-hmm. opportunities for women. Um, and Marcus, again, brings up that reparation issue yeah. uh, as we think about it. So we'll have to come it back won't go to that away, as well. <laughs> That's right. So again, Marcus and I thank you for joining us. And we want to remind you that the Watterson Harvey Show is produced at Blue Ridge Public Radio in Asheville, North Carolina. And you can listen to our podcast on BPR.org on the BPR mobile app and on Apple music and google play follow us and get in touch on facebook and twitter and marcus and i will be happy to see you again or to talk to you again next time take care